when you finally get a goal in open play, only to get hit for seven. That's so MLS. With myself, Nick Thornton, and with me as always is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm feeling bad for Cincinnati, uh, but I'm doing... Why? What happened? Well, I'm doing okay. Um, it's uh, It's been Canada Day, uh, as is... Uh, as, as has been tradition for my two candidates in St. John, um, it has been rainy. Well, it wasn't as, it wasn't so bad on Canada Day itself, but on the night before when they had concerts here, in, uh, like last year, it was an exercise in uh, going to an outdoor concert while in the pouring rain, which is fine, which is actually kind of fun, but... Uh, I Give me some sense of what kind of Canada Day uh, celebrate. Like, who, what was the live music there? So there's this uh, um, this area. Our listeners in St. John will know it well as the Boardwalk. Um, the essentially, it's a little stage that faces a bunch of waterfront businesses. Um, last year, the uh, the band was always that played. Uh, Sort of the candle this Canada Day countdown, where uh, mm-hmm. essentially they it's like a new, they try to do New Year's Eve for Canada Day. This year it was Partner and the Beaches, both of whom were great. Yeah, all right. Um, so essentially, you you sat there for like like we we sat there as under uh, under umbrellas as the rain started to fall until the wind started getting t- too much for the umbrellas and they took the umbrellas down. The best part, and this isn't necessarily uh, related to anything, but the best part is that they had this idea of, well, our, our our headliner is called The Beaches, so what do you think of when you think of The Beach? He said just a crowd currently being rained out. Not not the, not the weather we have upon us. Beach balls. And he releases these two giant beach balls into the crowd that are way too heavy. So nobody can... <laughs> Nobody can come up to punch the cross away because yeah. <laughs> it you, because you've got to like really I, I got a, a a sense of what it's like to try and make that save because you really have to get some oofing to get to move Put your anywhere. whole body into it. The old Tim Howard miss punch. It hit a stage light. It hit somebody that was sitting beside me in the side of the head. It hit the uh, the drink cart and eventually. Uh, a a bouncer deflated it and threw it in the garbage and our, took our toys away. It was <laughs> hilarious. I, every time, every time it moved to a that's, new location, that's actually more Canadian than <laughs> it working out. Like, well, oh jeez. Uh, okay, bud, you gotta you gotta put that thing away. Someone's gonna dislocate an elbow or there's something there. It's just it was such a well intentioned but like bad idea that like Lord. my it gave me. Like this sort of strange Schadenfreude joy of just being like, "What is gonna happen? It's not gonna be yeah. good." <laughs> I also high fived. I also high fived a guy that I saw in a Women's World Cup 2015 jersey, and he was like, "Thanks." I was also wearing a jersey, but perhaps he just like, perhaps he just. Uh, he- he did not speak the international language of "Hey, you're wearing a soccer jersey. Let's be friends." <laughs> Nobody read him the but, rules. Yeah, alas. Uh, how are you? How is your uh, uh, national holiday? Uh, I mean, people who know me know me. I'm not the uh, most patriotic of people, so I uh, I just had dinner with a friend and uh, 
bemoaned the uh, soccer weekend that wasn't for those of us following Team Canada and the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yeah. We'll get get to it. It wasn't a spectacular soccer weekend, so it was kind of hard to get too much into the festivities. But here we are. Um, The... uh... I know a, a bunch of people that I know went down to uh, Vancouver, Seattle. Yeah, that wasn't the <laughs> that that was a that was a weird one. I didn't get to see. Now, here's the funny thing: I I think tuned in just before the second half, or or just about the second half. Um, maybe forty five minutes left. Nothing seemed to happen. And if you watch the highlight video back. It does start at 45 minutes. It just omits the entire... There's not even, like, sort of a, a, a deference to pretending that anything happened in the first half. It's just the whole... So every highlight is in the first second half. Well, let's maybe start there, then, because this is kind of a separate and but small tangent, which is just that I feel like the MLS.com... Uh, MLSsoccer.com highlight packages this year have been kind of left wanting, where... They just completely will omit anything up until the first goal, which is like, I'm not saying it was a brilliant half of soccer, but it's not like nothing happened. Um, and it just sort of feels a little bit like a bit of a cheap shot to both teams to be like, and yeah, nobody really cares about that. So um, anyway, here's the first goal at the 70th minute. I'm, I, um, I, I, I rely on them too much to try and bite the hand that feeds. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I guess the fact that they just have consistent and and better content up at, in a timely manner is maybe uh, what we should be focusing in on. Um, but I felt like this was actually, all things considered, one of the Whitecaps' better games. And I thought that, especially for an away game in Seattle, I was pleasantly impressed. I thought the first yeah. half we did okay. There were certainly mistakes um, but they were cleaning up those mistakes. And I think for a what we knew was going to be a somewhat makeshift squad because of players away on international duty for both sides, um, I was impressed. I thought Vancouver had a good game plan. I, we all knew Seattle was struggling for uh, strikers. They signed their USL affiliate, uh, I forget his first name, but Dylan, to a, a quick contract to get, to get him involved. Um, with Will Bruin out and... Um, what's his nuts? <laughs> the player we talk about all the time, Seattle striker. Um, uh, Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris. Yes. Jordan Morris is away on international duty. And Ladero um, and Christian Roldan and Rui yeah. Diaz. So that's pretty. That's basically their whole. That's basically their whole yeah. forward uh, setup. So I was impressed that Mark Dos Santos came out and the team was certainly pressing, but I didn't feel like they were taking unnecessary risks, uh, building out at the back. And what kind of unfolded from there was, you know, what looked like um, we held the them at the ramparts for a super long time. You and get then, this in the, the six. Do you want? Do we want to talk about the disallowed? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm. Yeah sort of uh, working up to here. Now, the, it's kind of a strange play, and I think it's... So I think it's Dylan who initially goes in on sort of a 50-50 ball uh, with Zach McMath. I will also say um, we kind of trashed Zach McMath last week, and I feel like 
Uh, I hope he wasn't listening to that, but I felt like this is a much, much improved game for him. Yeah. And so I, I want to make sure we give credit where credit is due. It's very hard to have rough performances as a backup goalkeeper and then turn things around. And I thought he looked really solid for this whole match. But he kind of gets uh, cl- not quite cleaned out, but sort of stomped on um, in the follow through from Dylan. The ball bounces out to, I think it's Lorea. Is that his name? The, uh, the young... No, uh, Leva. Danny Leva. Leva. Danny Leva bounces out to him. The teenager has a fantastic shot. And because McMath is down and the whistle hasn't gone and the play hasn't been called dead, the ball goes in and it's a goal. And everybody's kind of like, Seattle's celebrating, but you can tell there's definitely an element that's sort of like, well, hang on a minute. Shouldn't the play have been called dead? And then VAR calls it back, reviews it, and decides that there's no goal. So without thinking about what happens towards the end of this game, this call is a tricky one. And I think that people could probably be somewhat fair in picking on us that we we tend to err on the side of Whitecaps sometimes (laughs) on this one. And this one I'm a little bit more up in the air on. What's your sense of it? There's lots of people saying there's absolutely no way that this one should have been called back. And of course... A lot of people in the Whitecaps contingent who say that this was a, a great use of VAR and that that uh, play should have been whistled dead. How do you read this one? I've got a. I I honestly do have to to lean in the the Whitecaps way on this. You're you're right that we should always be double checking and, and thinking. Am I being clouded by the fact that uh, by by that sort of uh, and that team uh, support? But if you look at it, I think that the key thing is. That like Justin Dillon comes in so hard that he leaves in this this giant dil- divot in the in the turf, like and, and he does clip McMath, McMath's foot in to a certain like I don't think that there is, uh, I don't think that there is a doubt that if that if if you think that that has happened and and I do think so when I look at the picture that you you've got to call it an offensive foul. They let it run. I think that it's really unfortunate and <laughs> a little painful mm. that they let it run as long as they did to, to let this teenager uh, take this wonder strike. But he may not have been able to 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 get it if McMath had been able to stand. I think that I think that there was contact, and I think in that case you've got to call it. Yeah, I my read of it was I I think I could say this much. The play should have been whistled dead when McMath was down because the referee checks to look and sees him and decides to play on. But at that point, like the players kind of stop. Now, that's not Seattle's fault that Vancouver sort of stops because they see their goalkeeper down. However, letter of the law, that play should always be whistled dead when the goalkeeper's down with a potential injury. And it, you're right, is that... Um, strike is made possible by the fact that McMath is down and Vancouver has to scramble to get back. I think as a Seattle fan and a Seattle player, you have every right to be aggrieved that the play wasn't whistled dead in the first place and they were just playing to the whistle. So you can't blame them for being uh, opportunistic in that point. And indeed, we've made that call on other similar calls. However, it's a little different when it's the goalkeeper that gets taken out of the play um and it is an awfully hard challenge so 
although I see what people are saying, I think that VAR probably gets it right to overturn it. Um, but I understand the grievances with saying, well, should this have even been a VAR call? Um, and should the referee not just have whistled the play dead as soon as the goalkeeper was down, if that was the call? I think that um, it, we have this this new way of doing it now. I would have been okay, you know, if if it's found that there's no, say there's no contact, and McMath just happened to say sprain sprain his ankle or something. He there was a no non contact injury, and McMath was down, and that goal scored in VAR reviews and finds no contact. I am okay with that standing, and. And what, in the same way that we talked about, uh, in the same way that we talked about last week, and I understand the goalkeeper is a little bit different, but but I do sort of agree with the play to the whistle. That being said, we are now in this, the 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 regime now with this type of VAR that we're using is that we let plays run on to their conclusion. This is a little different than an offside, but even with offsides, when we know they're offside, the referee doesn't put the flag up. Because they want to see what would have happened, even if even if the lines even if the lines person does know that it's offside, so it's like, I this is what, yeah, this is the choice that has been made is that we're going to let mm-hmm. plays run on to their conclusion. The one thing is, it's awful disappointing when that happens, <laughs> and it's like I would I don't feel like like as a fan in that moment I'm happy that Seattle didn't score, but man, that sucks for that that kid. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the thing that I think we can all agree on is that the soccer gods uh, and justice prevailed because uh, Kevin Leardham just takes a bash uh, very, very late. I think it's like the, basically the 90th minute or even into stoppage time. 95. Uh, 95 minutes in and gets the goal that sort of, I think, just takes a bounce off Andy Rose and goes in and Seattle wins this late. Heartbreaking result for the Caps. However, I think it's a fair result, given that Seattle had this call come back, and given that Seattle did really look the better team, especially in the last 15 minutes of this game. Vancouver played well. It was a probably more complete performance than we've seen from them recently. But this just massive goal-scoring problem is, is like, how, how much longer do we need to go before it gets addressed? And we can't just constantly argue that, oh, the ca- it was unfair that the Caps lost or um, it, if calls went this way or that way. This was a perfect example where the call went in their favor, but they still weren't able to capitalize and take advantage of it. And they're now in a position where as games are starting to, the, the schedule gets tight and starts to wrap up, um, a lot of teams have two games in hand over them. And the Whitecaps are struggling still with 20 points and failing to put together wins because they can't score goals. Or they seem to only be able to score goals when they're already conceding goals. And for me, this is the thing that's really causes alarm as a team overall. The play has been much better. And week to week, you see some of the little kinks um, get ironed out and you see an overall improvement. We talked last week about... Uh, better defensive concentration, uh, better midfield creativity. But the the major weak link through this whole season has been well, there's just not the finishing there. And what's so frustrating is that for as much as things have changed, like we needed this to be addressed five years ago. Yeah. And we 
addressed it last year, and then we got rid of that player, and we failed to replace him, and now we're in this position where it's looking very, very unlikely that we're going to be able to squeak into the playoffs. And even if we do, um, unless reinforcements arrive, there seems to be no end in sight to this problem. And even when the finishing is better, it's still coming from the, the wide players, it's coming from the midfielders, but it's not coming from our uh, offensive players. And that, that's really, really concerning to me that we're still we're so deep into this rebuild um, and this season, and we just have such uh, extreme lack of goals. This is the point where you do expect it to turn, right? The, the one thing I want to say before, before we talk about the goals, the one thing I want to say is that I uh, just just giving that last minute goal a little bit of a look. Um, so the somebody is marking the the Seattle player who's who's going to set up Lear, Leardham thinks the pass is going to go left but it goes in right and Calvin Leardham gets it who is open as the left back who I think in this case is Adnan uh Ali Adnan is kind of asleep here in extra time like he like yeah. the 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 center back has pinched up forward and Adnan is walking, and by the time he realizes that the play has started to move, the center back has already come up forward, and the ball is coming out. And for some reason, he splits left. Yeah. Instead of going, instead of going forward, so he created a gap. I guess he just was not switched on, kind of in that defensive form, which which is something. And his whether or not he has that defensive ability is something that's driving the current discussion, which is, do the Whitecaps currently have Ali Adnan on their roster? Because yeah. on well, uh, his his loan was due to expire on the 30th. Mm -hmm. um, and he now, I guess he was at Whitecaps training today on the 2nd, as we, as mm -hmm. we speak. He, uh, the, Mark Dos Santos says, we'll find out by the time that we play the game on the weekend against LAFC. And I'll say this, for in terms of the, the potential transfer of him, it, it seems an awfully good sign that he's not back in Italy. The fact that he wasn't on a plane at the end of that match is a very good sign. Yes. Um, it sounds like really all it is now is his club needs to agree to, tr to the fee, and it should be done. Um, and of course, there's just the business side of soccer that can only happen as, as quickly as it can happen. But it does still raise this question that we've talked about, that of course, the caliber of Adnan is ridiculous, and we've never had a player of this competitive level. The defensive side of his game uh, can definitely still improve. And what's concerning is that there are still these moments of lack of awareness or he pushes himself so far up the field that he's then caught out of position and just doesn't have the gas to get back. Overall, I think his benefits outweigh the mistakes he makes. I feel like this game is still Seattle's, um, but yeah, not to make it all about the striker issue, but part of the thing where teams like Vancouver run into trouble is it's the lack of finishing actually makes it harder for defenders because you're creating situations where you're deep into stoppage time in a crucial away match like this and it's backs against the wall and you're defending. If the forwards do their job, it's the old line of like, uh, 
you know, defend from the front and attack from the back, but like, you've got to be able to finish some of those chances. And ultimately, part of your best defense is challenging your opponent's defense and doing that by getting goals. Because if the finishing is there, then this late goal is canceled out and we're still coming away with a really crucial road point. But instead, the chances don't fall with the decision making isn't there. And then all it takes is one mistake, which can happen to anyone and to the best defenders. And I honestly, like, I see what you're saying about Adnan in the situation, but I still think, like, it's a great strike from Leardom and it's a great press from Seattle to just never say die. And it shows what kind of caliber team they are, given that they're so depleted in their attack. And yet for this whole second half, they're in it to win it Mm -hmm. and they're taking their chances. So... It's frustrating because it it really highlights, like, the Whitecaps are running out of excuses to say the goals aren't coming when we still have all our best attacking players, arguably, but the chances aren't getting finished. And we're playing against an opponent that has all of their key attacking pieces, literally every single one gone, and they're still able to find a way to win. Now, granted, the, their hey. goal eventually comes from a left back. But hey, let's not t- let's not uh, let's not uh, commit slander against Harry Ship here. <laughs> you can't you, indeed not. You can't go to Seattle and expect to 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 need to get a result zero zero. Uh, it was lucky that they were at that position, and and I I definitely think that you're right about that. Um, with when it comes to the the other thing about the Sedan situation that kind of bothers me as you talk about the striker is that certainly he has been uh, an, a positive addition to the team. Those are those first couple of games before he joined up, the team got immediately better once he arrived. Um, I think that he's I think that he's been great. He's he's great at left back. He's great as an attacker. But I saw you know I was reading a piece before we began talking about it. it's like. The Whitecaps need to do everything they can to keep him. And it's like, this is, we're spending, we're expending all of our energy. If we're, we are expending all our energy thinking about and also financially paying for uh, left back. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's kind of like yeah, an issue to me. <laughs> it does feel like a bit of, it, yeah, it does feel like a bit of a false flag. And, and we're doing that so like, he can score goals. He's, yeah. our, our left back is our goal scoring solution. Exactly. And I'm like, in that case, again, why not just hang on to Jordan Harvey or bring him back? Because he he's still has more goals than Adnan at this point. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's not all just about stats, but some of the, the math and the thinking doesn't quite fully add up. And it just, I think it leaves a bit of a sour taste in some of our mouths. It's not the wrong decision to try to keep Adnan, but if this is the grand solution, now I know that they're working on trying to bin, bring in an attacking player. It sounds like they're trying to potentially bring in uh, a, another Korean player in a, a striker. But I, I tweeted this out the other day, is I'm also kind of over the Vancouver experiment of finding uh, a forward player with attacking potential and a huge upside that's going to come here struggle to score goals, get relegated in terms of minutes, and then eight months later be playing for a different club. Like, the idea that we're going to bring in a 22 or 23-year-old player to solve this problem uh, is not the right look for me. We've got the young players in the wings who we're working on getting them to the levels. We need the consistent goal scorer, 
and it doesn't have to be a major DP signing. It's it's just so frustrating that we're still here after all this time. So much has improved, and yet the same problem persists, and we're just, like, the Bravo era Whitecaps was, all we were was a counter-attacking team, and we just needed that to work for us. We fixed that, completely stain- changed the roster and the style of play. We still can't score goals. So... Six to one, half a dozen to the other. The Whitecaps are, are still in the exact same position they've been in for the last five years, and I'd argue at this point worse than they were last year and the year before that. So, a team uh, that, a team that uh, strangely can score a goal was Colorado, who yes hosted LAFC in what would have you know earlier been thought of something like a like a huge misma- uh, mismatch but Colorado played what I thought of as a very competent game very basic very risk averse but they were they uh, they defended some very good players competently got a goal on the break and and escaped with a one nil win against the league leaders yeah. Now, I know we don't have a, like, game of the week per se, but we've definitely knocked some games for being anything not so great of entertaining (laughs) matches. And I think you're right to say that this one is a bit basic, but this to me was, like, probably one of the best played games strategically of the week. I love what Colorado's doing right now. Um, We talked last week about how they're playing to their strengths and they're not trying to do anything outside of that. New England is similar. Is it's just, like... What can we do? Well, we can catch teams on set pieces and on the counter-attack. Um, and with now with the Bubakar, we could sort of nail down the back a little bit and just defend in numbers. And defend very simple man-to-man marking, players tracking runs, getting bodies in the way, blocking shots. Um, this, to me, was just a fantastically executed game against uh, you know, the league's best team. They've been now beaten by two teams in MLS and two only, the Whitecaps and Colorado. <laughs> now, let's give Colorado their due credit. This is seven games unbeaten for them now. Mm. Um, so they're on a huge streak. And what I like is that in terms of what they're doing well, they're still a fast team, but they're using that in their counterattack with, uh, with some real devastation. But they're also playing with less chaos. So they're picking their times to play the pace and the speed and to catch teams on the counter, even though the play comes through um, a set piece off a a corner kick. That play comes out of a counterattack that wins the corner. And it was really great to see Colorado just play a match where they hung on at the right times and they chose their times to break out of the back. And LAFC, I thought, had a good game. Some unlucky shots, to be sure. But this was not like this was not a depleted LAFC because uh, we had Rossi back, and we also had Carlos Vela, who decided to not go to the national team this year in order to stay with his club. So LAFC had all their attacking pieces there, and this was Colorado just being incredibly patient. And it's just so good for. I think it's is it Rose who gets this one. Um, I have, uh, who do I have? Not Rose. Um, Wilson. Wilson, Danny Wilson, who just gets up and it's, he's being marked by two players, but he's just able to get up above them. He's not a massive player, really. 
um, to get the header and get this goal. So I was really, really impressed. And although maybe Colorado's not like the team to beat in LS, MLS right now, they're steadily climbing up the table and making a, a good account for themselves by doing the things they do well, really well. Definitely agree. Uh, I think that it's 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 a very galaxy brain idea that it, that uh, you can't uh, give your playoff opponents an advantage if you only lose to non playoff opponents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. And I mean, then that's the other thing about how tight the West is. Is it what are you saying? Uh, seven games unbeaten. Yeah, and they're still eleventh out of twelve. Yes. <laughs> that still that still puts them for joint bottom in the conference, and that's just because Which, they've been doing they they did very poorly before, and so many other teams are doing well and improving as well. Yeah, the thirty six goals conceded, which is uh, <laughs> I think still seven or eight more than the next worst team, certainly did not help them out no. in this. However, it, you know it, if you're going to start hitting a hot streak. Now is the time to be doing it as we've seen with, uh, also our beloved San Jose earthquakes. Wow. What a result in against the other LA team in, in the California classico three, nothing at home. Just, just, uh, absolute as, as they would call it on Twitter, absolute scenes, <laughs> absolute scenes. Indeed. Um, I, I don't have a ton to add here, really, because like Colorado, they're just continuing to build off of what they started to suddenly turn around. What to you stands out about San Jose right now and and where they are? I mean, is this just sort of like it was bound to happen sooner or later? Or do we feel like this is a San Jose side that's actually going to start to like continue to threaten? Because... For a team that was ranked dead last and there was no hope of turning around, now all of a sudden they're in fifth place with 25 points, granted in a very tight conference. But, you know, they've put themselves in a really enviable position as the teams above them are starting to drop points. Well, I think that they, I think that you do, it's not something we talk about the most, but I do think that they, they had a great game defensively here against L.A., yeah. Uh, certainly, you have to, but but also there were a lot of good. There were some key saves from Vega and, and some key defensive play uh, from Jungworth, I believe. And it's like that's mm-hmm. that's something that you we we didn't think that we would see. At, at, even as they started, <laughs> even as they there's an understatement. What we said <laughs> when they were nothing at the beginning of the season, we said we see no path for improvement. And even as they started yeah. to improve, it's like this is not going to be their strength. But that was absolutely, I think, a strong point of theirs in the game. I think there's so much when you have uh, a great uh, midfielder who can score goals and play make, and all of a sudden things start to just work from a, from a rhythmic perspective. I loved in this second goal um, that Shea Salinas scores. Vaco is... They, they have a, a, a turnover at um, yeah. uh, by the center line, and they try to break. But there's one one too many defenders. It's like a four. It's like a one on four or like a two on three or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks almost like Vaco holds onto it too long. He's kind of trying to get around the defender, and he turns around. But because he's because he's like looking like he's like squandering the opportunity, he's actually giving Shea Salinas the time to run onto the wing. 
Yeah, and he that's turns a brilliant over, play. He turns around and plays him in. And I don't think Vako's given enough credit for this type of play. Obviously, I mean, the fact that he, I think he scored in like five straight games now. Mm. Um, possibly, no, not more than that, because that would be the record. But he's, uh, he's, he's a smart runner as well. Um, I think we're, when we get to Atlanta, I'll say the same thing about what Pity can do and, and some of the play off the ball that people don't always see and give credit to that he pulls, as you say, he pulls three defenders with him, leaving Shea uh, Salinas wide open to take this one. Um, it's just such smart heads-up play from them. And, you know, LA played pretty poorly here. They did not look their best for sure, um, and certainly defensively, as we've seen. But Almeida, if we look at the work of this team over the last seven or eight games, Almeida's taken this squad, and you think about the the overhaul and change and it's he's playing with the same personnel he switched the starting lineup certainly um and played around for, for with formations but he's turned this basement team into this incredibly powerful attacking machine that is just that, that defenders are really struggling to figure out because they, they their attack is so versatile and is coming from so many different places it's not the wrong move to move to vaco because they know what a threat he is Salinas hasn't started a game this season, I don't think. And now all of a sudden he's wide open to take this one. And then deep in stoppage time, uh, the Earthquakes polish them off with a third that just catches LA sleeping and really puts a statement on this one. Um, it's funny that they build this as a, uh, like another sort of derby match. And I'm like, LA was never even in this one. No. This was, this was San Jose for the full 90 minutes. That goal... Wait. Tommy Thompson uh, crosses it in, in it banks in off Perry Kitchen, L.A. Uh, midfielder Perry Kitchen's chest, is mm. just really the, the classic example of when everything in the world is going right for you. Like, just yes. the, the... We're so good, we're going to make the center back score when they're just trying to take the ball down with their chest. <laughs> I mean, like, you can't, uh, you can't doubt that. If you're looking here, is Alessandrini out pretty much the whole year, or just like... I believe so, yeah. I think it's a long-term injury. Right. Well, I think that their uh, LA is really going to benefit from getting Jonathan Dos Santos back, certainly. Yeah. But I think that even though Ibrahimovic is great and Sebastian Legette is very good as well, um, the a, a rhythm is not there right now in their um, no. in their in, in their sort of atta- top attacking mix. I think almost to a certain degree, Ibrahimovic is his. When those other people are present, Ibrahimovic has established a rhythm that allows him to um, put some focus on those other people, so that he can then surprise in the other moments. Yeah. But when he leaves space for them, the, the when the when the when the the key players are not there, and he leaves space for them, they can't make something of it that a will create chances for themselves and b give him time to make work his own magic and the way that almeida read this tactically to close ibra down at the right points but they basically took him out of the equation which is pretty hard to do because we've talked about this with teams that this has been la's real uh the boon for them this season is that you, if you're if you take all the attention off of Ibra, his service into the box is so good for other players um, that if you're you've got players marking him, he could still find a way to get the ball through to other players, and then they score goals. 
but I feel like they left him unmarked or relatively unmarked at the right times, and then they knew where to swarm him, but ended up that he had to play quite deep and ended up being basically functioning as a bit more of a, a playmaker in this situation. I had a little bit of a Twitter exchange with um, a, just a, a, well, not just, an Earthquakes fan um, who's got a great uh, Twitter handle, Una periodos, Periodista Mas, which is just one more journalist, <laughs> um, or just another journalist, at Una Giorno. But um, talking about, like, nobody expected this. Lots of people had faith in Almeida to turn things around, but nobody expected this kind of turnaround. And I think definitely underestimated his uh, his tactical read of games and his ability to really stick to his system. I mean, when you and I were scratching our heads saying, who, who is this guy and what is this experiment? You know, he was tinkering and trying things out, but clearly he had a, a longer vision. And now he's got his side in the enviable position of a well above, well, not well above, but above the playoff line. Um, and they're starting to improve across the pitch. This is not just fortuitous goals and just the Wando show. This is, they're scoring goals across the team and they're defending really well. Um, for LA Galaxy, they continue to seem to just be able to drop points and yet still stay in second place. <laughs> so yeah, we're there's not always about, justice there. We're talking about a team that, that uh, well, Dos Santos is a huge addition but it's like we're talking about a team with the in the in the language that there's no way up into, yeah. with LA that it's like oh without Alessandrini they they just don't have the what they need to uh, uh, offensively which is a a weird thing to say about a team that has lots of Ibrahimovic on it and <laughs> b um like just just not reflective of the fact that they're probably going to be I guess we don't have seated play up but they're going to be like they're they are second and uh while things are tight in the in the conference they have a pretty commanding lead uh on they the the idea that they would somehow drift off is not something no. that appears to be all that uh more than fact um they look great i want to also mention that you're right about this that when when i think about other teams that are doing great right now um uh, it did a turn around to the like the earthquakes are doing, uh, they didn't have uh, a big addition in the same way that Portland made an addition, or some of the yeah. big additions that um, that Philadelphia have made to mm -hmm. to try and, and so that is something that you can really um, you can really judge them positively for. Another team that's trying to make a turnaround is New England, mm -hmm. who and had a great result last week and this week. Did it again. Did it again. It was great. Um, the, well, the, the result last week, was that a draw? That was a draw. Am I, am oh, I yeah. right? True. Yes. Right. Well, they didn't lose. That's what I... <laughs> well, I mean, that's better than them losing, which I, which I almost thought was the result. Um, but uh, so it's like... But but that was... That, that result last week was very tentative um, and like trying to figure... Like, like trying to figure the right routes out. Uh, en route to that 1-1 draw against Philadelphia. But this mm -hmm. week, they get the 2-1 uh, win over Houston. And I thought mm -hmm. that they uh, they did a great job of um, being able to hold off Houston's uh, hot attack. Mm -hmm. um, always. And, and 
the offense is working, and New, uh, New England gets two goals, and they get a goal out of Teal, which I think is the Teal Bomberry, which I think is a player that when they have done well in recent years, he's performing well, and, and I don't think that he's had a very good 2019 at all. Um, no. I'd say the same of Pico as well. I think Pico's had a slightly better year, but it they play best when they can get these two players on the score sheet. And I like that Arena's got them playing with that in mind, is they're trying to get some service into those players. Because you've got two big, strong players. Um, not Fafa Pico, sorry. Wrong team. Uh, Delamea, yes. who gets this goal. Um, it's just, you know, again, two big, strong attacking players. Get the ball to them. They're, they're players that are also good on their feet and good in the air, and you need to just let them take care of business, but you've got to get them the service in the box to make that happen. Um, and it almost didn't look this way, because New England coughed it up early on and just can't clear out of their own box, which is still something that on set plays and their clearances just still seem to be very, very tentative. There's that um, amazing, uh, weird uh, cluster muck where the ball yeah. comes in and it finds the feet of an attacker... Uh, Matt Turner tries to, I guess, like collapse on the ball, but can't actually get the ball, and it spills out, which looks awful. He tries to run higher in the box than I've seen anybody do it, uh, and and the the basically almost blows it. The ball does get by him. Um, I think people think originally that it's called for a save, but I feel like it is he kick saves it i think it's called down for offensive handball actually behind mm. him but he put himself in such a bad position <laughs> and they could yeah, get this ball it, out he's a keeper that really likes to to come out eh <laughs> yeah it's yeah and he had great saves other than that too but that was just that was the dangerous a little dodgy but it was great to see new england get this result and i thought yeah. um not always a team we talk about as be, being the most exciting, but I, I like, again, Arena's got them playing good football, simple football, and and New England seems to be playing with a little bit more spring in their step. And they're a team that can be very dangerous when the confidence is flowing in their direction because teams often underestimate what they're capable of, and that's when New England can hurt you. So it, it's great to see them turning things around as well. So with... Toronto and DC United in this 1-1 draw. I thought that Toronto did almost everything possible that you could imagine to get an away win. But just at the last minute, just it just doesn't happen for them. On a penalty that I think is legitimate. I think so too. I, I thought that TFC's goal looks offside, so I, I was surprised that it stood. I didn't see enough of the, the replays. I, I'll put my faith in the... Uh, fourth official there that it was an onside goal um and a late penalty so this one is again unfortunately one of those results that doesn't tell us a whole lot but i i i agree with that assessment toronto did everything they could have done to win it and uh it's definitely a penalty late so uh a point that i don't think they'll be too too aggrieved by i think that it's it's tough to say with this sort of um the defensive the the idea of wrapping your arms around the guy, Briant, to try and to, to hold yeah. him back is is something that we always talk about is 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 constantly done, but it's gonna if it's caught it's gonna cost you in and I don't know what we could do to disabuse people of that notion 
uh, that that's a good, good thing to try. This <laughs> late in the match against a huge player like Briant, like Briant is, if he's going down, it's because someone's dragging him down. So it it's a really defensively stupid move to make. Uh, you just have to stand him up. I mean, he's not really in a position where he's a huge goal-scoring threat in that moment. So I feel like this is a, a real defensive mistake from Toronto that just shows a, a lack of discipline and concentration. But um, if they see that one out and don't concede the penalty, they hang on for the win. Instead, they cough up a late penalty and walk away with a point that really should have been three. With that one point, DC is now uh, one behind Philadelphia because Philadelphia stumbled against New York City. Now, you had some opinions about the two penalties that... Uh... Yeah, better, better look at the timestamp here. Uh, fuck <laughs> this result hard. <laughs> I had to have an anger nap after this game. So, let's... Well, before we get there, um, so, Fafa Pico, now we're talking about Fafa Pico, he actually gets things going for Philadelphia, and this is starting to look like a great away sh- showing for Philadelphia. Yeah. And then we get this first penalty call um, on Castiantos, Castianos, I believe. And Castellanos. Then he, and then he also gets, uh, well, we'll get to the second penalty, but the first penalty is not a penalty, not now, not ever. This is one of these weak, weak calls that is so frustrating that he makes a complete meal of it. He sees the player and backs into him. And he's just so small, and he just spills over. There's so much theatrics here. He's grabbing his face, even though he backed into a player. I I hate this kind of penalty so much. Um, I don't blame a player like him for making this move, uh, but I blame the the referees for, for not seeing this. To me, this is such a blatant dive um, and should not have been called. And the second one, even more so, that this is... It's almost the exact same move, but it, it, and that it's still given. This gives up the whole game. So Shabilko, between those penalties, Shabilko scores again. So it's now two-one, uh, New York City. And I think for the first one, for the first one, it's one of those ones that that has been happening here in the World Cup that I think is a little, a little soft but tough from a, a, a contact position where. I think that you're right that, well, does he back into him or does he turn into him? This one, I think there's a little bit more wiggle room, but I could definitely see how it's soft. But this second one that happens, you have maybe a little bit of an arm push for the defender, but it is like there's a movement and you can see it from far away that still, after all these years, defines a clear dive and it's the throwing up of the hands on your way down. Yeah. Yeah, it just, and then we get this, you know, and then he, Castellanos gets the two finishing goals here that finish (laughs) off this game. I don't blame Philadelphia for this one. I mean, there was a lot of Philadelphia fans upset that Philadelphia didn't have the fight back and um, had such a poor away result. I I thought it was going to be something to do with the pitch, to be perfectly honest. Now it's all ready to be talking about a baseball field again. But this is just such a disappointing result, and you know we've we've talked about this before that it's just so frustrating when you see a team get breaks like this that really hasn't done anything to deserve them. New York City FC sits much higher on the table than I think they deserve to, based on some calls that have gone their way. Um, 
uh, granted, there's they are a great team defensively. They've improved this year. Um, so I'm not saying they're not one of the better teams in the East. I just think that this game was more or less handed to them. And referees have to be cl- just more aware of this. To give two penalties to the same player for the same move, I, I-, I just is... I mean, I'd say it's shocking, but it's not. It's just frustrating. Yeah, no doubt. The the Philadelphia is still on top, but you now kind of have this interesting situation in the East where Philadelphia is on 32, DC is on 31, Montreal is on 30, and Atlanta is on 29. So you've got three points separating all those teams. Atlanta has caught up um, with a result that they got at home against Montreal. Yeah, and... The great thing about this, if you're uh, an Atlanta fan, is that we're seeing some depth to Atlanta here, um, and that the, well, not I guess not so newly arrived Justin Merrim gets in here. Um, was and this, this is his first play- game? I think this was his first game for them. Yeah, I think so. Um, and he gets both goals, but this first goal... Um, to talk about great offensive players who don't get talked about enough for the work they do off the ball, he, he it is on, an on-the-ball play, but he dribbles through um, defenders, and then he takes three defenders with him. And the whole time, he sees where Justin Merrim is, and he knows this, so he's this purposely is, pulling the defenders with him. This is pity. This is the... F- pity, yeah. Um, and then turns around, gets the ball to Merrim, who nobody's expecting to take it from this distance. And I mean, we all know that Justin Merrim's a great player, but nobody expected him to come in and just immediately return to his previous swagger and basically takes a free kick from 35, 40 yards out with just the best technique, just pure expertise, just lines it up, drives it. um, It dips at the perfect way. The goalkeeper's not got any chance um, and then the 83rd minute, it's just an opportunistic uh, sort of ball that um, Montreal doesn't clear that he's able to pounce on and just boot in. So you've got two very different plays from a player that has struggled immensely over the last 18 months. That's right. Despite being one of the better midfielders in MLS for a long time, just comes in and has, I would say, one of the best games of his career. It just... <laughs> It baffles, but he's back, I suppose. <laughs> when he scores that first goal, he looks so happy. It is his first. I uh, if you, I was looking at the uh, the stat that he. I guess it's his first since September 2018. Yeah, which is crazy to think about because he was really great in 2017, and then he moved around a little bit last year. He started with Orlando. He went to Columbus. Uh, he started the season with Columbus, and now he's in Atlanta. And this was this was actually not his. Uh, it was his second league game, and also he. I guess he scored some in the in the U.S. Open Cup. But mm-hmm. when he, oh yeah, yeah, and I think that he looked so sort of cleansed. At the, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 and it, the, it wasn't even you know come in like. Yeah, there was certainly a relief element to it, but the confidence in the setup to that goal is he knows exactly what he's doing and the technique that he takes on it is like 
it almost like is one of those stupid things that makes me almost like a little bit emotional to just see like he just so deserves it. Mm-hmm. But it was like in that moment, everything that has happened over the last, especially 12 months, just wasn't in his head at all. It was all about his experience, his technique, and he takes, you know, one of the best long drives you're going to see this season that just, <laughs> you're like, well, okay, I guess that answers that question about that player. Um, welcome back, Justin Merrim. <laughs> um, and a huge point, Montre- or huge points for them, Montreal, I thought, but played overall a good game this is an incredibly difficult stadium to play and i thought they had a overall okay okay match they got their goal but weren't able to hang on um but not something that i think we need to worry too much about montreal based on this performance no uh orlando beat columbus two nothing uh not a lot from them at home uh orlando played a disciplined game i loved uh brian rowe got a great save off of a, a bicycle kick he doesn't want to be posterized again um. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Orlando is just another one of those head-scratching teams that we've done nothing but trash talk for as long as we've been around and have just quietly put together a very strong season. Granted, they're playing a Columbus side that has had not much fight to them. And really, you talk about a team where there's not much positive to talk about. Uh, but finished, it, fish, finished them off, had a very professional result here. Um, and Orlando continues to, again, do well for themselves, sitting just below the playoff line. RSL with a very uh, with a very sort of dominating offensive performance against Sporting Kansas City, who has quietly sunk to the bottom of the Western Conference. Um, they take the lead. The, this second goal, uh, yeah. they're on a 4-1 break, and uh, Rusnak sees that the ball is too far ahead of, the, of a defender in his own half. So he's running at full speed to catch it first, continues that run into, uh, and finds. Uh, he plays through to Crylock, who mm-hmm. takes the first touch, but then dummies a second touch, and he like takes the first touch onto another player. It's like like Johnson. Johnson is standing close enough that Johnson could have taken that first touch, but it's like they work together as one unit, and Johnson hits it for that second goal. That is, as I say, the kind of nonsense that you can pull when you are <laughs> on a 4-1 break. And then yeah. Melia goes on this crazy uh, <laughs> run of saves. Again, yeah. while Sporting Kansas City is down to nothing, he saves Rusnak. He saves Brooks Lennon. He saves uh, an own goal from his own defender. Yeah. Absolute, absolute stone uh, saves at, at point-blank range. And... Uh, RSL score again, but it's disallowed for offside. And all of this is, like, so unnecessary because RSL's already up already up to nothing. But they just yeah. did not take the foot off the gas pedal. No. And, and again, uh, this, the theme of this week, I suppose, is teams that were able – teams building on what they've already started. And uh, I really like that RSL – you know, when they when they go down, it doesn't take them a long time to bounce back, and they seem to have a very good plan going into games to score goals by committee and just go, like, we've got to take three points out of this. Let's find any way to do it. And that first goal, as you so beautifully laid out, is kind of a perfect example of that. When you've got three players, any one of them could have taken that shot, and they take the hardest, most elaborate way of doing it, but they also had enough players there that it was like, well, it's going in somehow. 
because we've put ourselves in this position. So it's great to see RSL continue that and and just be... I think they're comfortable with the team that they are, which is that they're maybe not the most consistent team, but that makes them really dangerous to play against because you never know what RSL you're going to get. And certainly if they can keep themselves in playoff contention and make it above the line, I think they're going to continue to be the underdog, and I think that suits them just fine. Um, New York had this 3-1 win against Chicago, and I honestly, despite my, you know, I you know I like New York Red Bulls, but, but I thought that Chicago had so many more chances here that, yeah. that, that it certainly doesn't deserve to be a 3-1 lead, but... They had so many things hit the crossbar or hit the bar. One shot actually hit the cross the crossbar and the post. Yeah. Before coming out, um, Kaku scored earlier by uh, early by uh, stripping the keeper after getting after he received a, a Schweinsteiger back pass for that first one, um, and then the second uh, we've got a head over the bar from McCarty. Uh, a, a missed free kick from from Katai, the double the double redirect from Frankowski. Sapong is saved. Frankowski is saved, and then you have Royer come in. He's he's out white. He plays into the middle for a sliding uh, Ben White, and it's like, man, Chicago put so much work in. <laughs> They really did. I mean, and for 57 minutes or so, Chicago's in this one, and definitely Luck uh, was not on their side. Robles was not on their side either, because he had no. a couple of fantastic saves. I also feel like on all three goals, the center backs are just so easily beaten. Um, that yeah. first goal especially, the center backs, two center backs are in position reading the play, and the fact that White is able to sneak through there and score, to me, is just not acceptable. Um, that... Chicago's got to tighten this up. That the the center back problem for them is just this gaping hole. That in a game where you're going to be unlucky, you need defensively to be alive. And it's although it's unfortunate here, um, this is still to me the major weakness of Chicago, and explains why, despite being able to score some goals and have luck turn their way, they're still sitting very low in the Eastern Conference and have a lot of work to do to to really seem like a team that can challenge others. Brian is the scorer, and it, uh, eventually Nikolic does collect, ag- again, off of a crossbar hit, where now, yeah. now finally uh, another shot hits the post. But Nikolic, I, I, almost, I almost thought he kind of sleep-shotted in, but he yeah. does have his eyes on it, and he, he is able to, to react in time. In, in to to make make the most of his resource, uh, his reflexes, but just so many great saves from Robles. Uh, the the ball Ro- Royer scores in injury time to get the insurance and, and to cut off any any particular chance. But it's just just New York has this chaos style of <laughs> everything everything in the game except what you would expect when you look at the scoreline happens and, yeah. uh, and they're able to, to, to benefit from it. Minnesota, Cincinnati, the, the, the big game that this was a draw, right? Um, there were, there were some goals in this one, I think. Uh, and as you love, yeah, you love when, uh, it was a seven, one win for Minnesota and you love 
when you lose so badly that the calendar uh, dunks on you the next day or, or two days later. Because on Canada Day, Minnesota tweeted something along the lines of, hey, what day is Canada Day again? And they show a picture of the scoreboard. Oh, no. Which looks like a giant uh, calendar reading 7-1. Dirty, I love it. I also, I, I did see their calendar style, like, flip over the numbers, um, which I hadn't seen in the stadium before, and I, I love that. I think that's a nice little touch, um, but I didn't see that whole. Rude. And, and they were flipping it over a lot. Goals on 18 minutes, 23, 30, 43. Cincinnati scores on 56. Minnesota on 70, 75, and 87. Yeah, this read like a lopsided uh, basketball game. This was not good. Um, you know, Cincinnati did get a goal in open play and Ledesma finally scored. So that's something to build on, I suppose. But here, I have one note about this game that actually, I think, perfectly describes the entire situation. I just, I think it's like the sixth goal and there's eight Cincinnati players in their own box. Eight. Not one person is actually marking any player. There's eight, all in a nice little row, all lined up, all spread out. There's uh, three Minnesota players in the box, and not one of them is being marked, and there's eight players. I don't care what your problem is, Cincinnati. I don't understand how this kind of play is allowed to happen. Uh, Granted, the game's over, you're done, you're finished, but... This kind of thing is like, you've got to give your fans some reason to show up and buy a ticket. And this is a completely unacceptable performance from them um, to just every single thing, um, every goal was one that they were just completely torn apart. They're not a team. Like, they, they, they're not playing as a team. I get it must be incredibly difficult, but it's just... They're so out of sorts. There wasn't one goal here that looked like it was going to be anything but for Minnesota because everybody's in the wrong position. Everybody's getting beaten off the ball. Defenders are way out of position. Just this is this is the time where you just have to get together and do the basics right and try to hang on and have something to build off of. But I'm going like, what's the game plan going into this one that things go so drastically wrong given You've got so many games. You've had so much experience now to this point to know the things that you're not doing right. Just go back to fundamentals. You you cannot have eight players in your own box defending, and nobody's got position on any of the attacking attacking players. I think the one thing that the one thing you have to give them a little bit credit for is that they're missing Alvis Powell and Kendall Lawson. So they're they're sure they're they're they do have people that are missing on international duty. And certainly I think that the, the, the Gold Cup for them comes at a really rough time in terms of, you know, you've got the, you've got the interim coach, you're trying to pull stuff together, and things keep changing on you. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you maybe you're getting a, a rhythm back together, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, so-and-so, you know, you're, you're captain, or I don't know if Watts is a captain, but it's like, you know, your, your, your key center back has to leave. You know, you're putting so much on Jared Maddox. Maddox has to leave. And 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 you got players yeah, that are injured. Yeah, I mean, granted, it doesn't – it certainly doesn't help them. Um, 
but I, I think that all of the same problems are there, and they haven't necessarily looked defensively better with Boston either. That's a great point. Well, um, I, but, are they, you, but, I mean, this is they, just what I put down to when you're saying they, they don't have – they're not playing together as a team. Right. That yeah, does yeah, affect yeah. it. Yeah. It's true. It's true. That's that's fair. Um, they did sign a Dutch center back today, uh, Van der Werf, Van der Werf nice. who's, uh, who's coming in. Um, certainly looks like a, a quality pickup. Um, only place you can go is up. I mean, at this point, I don't think prioritizing one position over another really matters, and you might as well start with your back line and get a quality center back. 30 is a good age uh, for bringing in uh, international player as well. So I think that this makes perfect sense, but oi, I'm, I'm feeling for the Cincinnati fans. This was not, this was not even a USL level game. This was just pathetic. I think that's what, you know, it's Minnesota's record win. This is what is fascinating so many people is that it's Minnesota's record win. And just like, it's such a bottom, you know, uh, you know, hit the, bottom of the barrel moment for for Cincinnati. Yeah, just when you thought it couldn't get worse. <laughs> it gets worse. I didn't get a chance to see the highlights of uh Portland Portland took three points off of Dallas at home thanks to a Brian Fernandez goal. Not a not a lot of uh highlights here except for the fact that uh Fernandez happened and got a goal to win this one. Dallas I I did see uh the first half of this match Dallas looked okay. Um Portland looked much better. Certainly their home record seems to be steadily growing. Still crazy to me that they're sitting so low in the table, but, um, and, and then Savarese's contract was extended today. So they don't seem to be too upset with the fact that they're, uh, they're ninth, but they were able to, to climb up the table a little bit this week and, uh, things are starting to fall in their favor. And, uh, it, it seems like fortunes are starting to swing in Portland's favor and like yes still some inconsistencies but lots to build on and Fernandez is certainly the real deal uh do you have any MLS transfer uh, news or other news before we move on to Women's World Cup um not a ton of things the one thing I'll just say is that I mean it's the time of year where transfers are happening and it's kind of hard to keep up on stuff so we'll talk about the big ones but I don't think we need to talk about every single signing that comes in the only bigger news today was that um, Dallas did sell Gruezo for a club record fee. They're certainly not hurting in this position, and uh, I think it's something like $4.5 million they got for him. So not a bad bit of business for Dallas, and they're not really losing uh, a player. They're losing a good player, but um, the, the money's going to help them a lot more at this point, I think. Oh, the other big news that I wanted to, you know, I, I completely, I'm so, I've been so against the All-Star game. But they're bringing back the All-Star Skills Challenged. Oh, my God. From, like, the 90s. From the 90s MLS, we're getting we're gonna get a shot competition. I, I, I need to find the actual list of things. But I, you know, I don't think that there's any... I don't think that there's a great uh, benefit of playing... Um, We've talked about this last week. There's not. I, I don't think there's a lot of great benefit in, and I want to see more from the MLS players. But I love the idea of putting. You know, it's so goofy, but I think they can create some great moments. They there's going to be three teams of three players. One of them is going to be. Uh, well, there's two teams. I'm trying. There's like an MLS All Star team, a team that represents the hosts, Orlando, and then a. a 
a team that represents Atletico Madrid with Coke on it. I almost think you don't need him. Uh, you don't need you don't need Team Coke. Just give us more MLS. Give us more moments between MLS players. But it'll be. I think that it'll be super fun. The MLS All Stars are Wayne Rooney, Carlos Vela, Jonathan Dos Santos. The Orlando City's side is Nani, Chris Mueller, and Sebastian Mendes. And then Atletico is Coke and then TBA, TBA. And the skills will be shooting, touch and volley, passing. There will be no goalie wars, as people as people have asked on Twitter. But I think this is going to be great. This is happening in America, and there's no, like, burger-eating competition or hot-dog-eating competition. <laughs> That's the one I want to see. Oh, goodness. All right, let's talk World Cup. Yes. Um, in the quarterfinals, we had already talked about England-USA. Um, not England, sorry, USA-France. Uh, but Netherlands uh, were able to beat Italy to nothing with a pretty solid, uh, solid display. Uh, you had, you know, Italy were good, but the Netherlands took chances and they held strong. Nienema gets the the header off across from the left for the first goal, and uh, across from the right uh, finds a leaping attacker for Netherlands second. Um, they've just been so hot this tournament. I think that that. Between them and Sweden beating Germany, which was a big surprise. Uh, well, not a big surprise. Both teams are great, and Sweden have had success before. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, the hot teams, if you look at the, the, the four teams that made it into the semifinal, uh, England, U.S., Ireland, Sweden, certainly, other than France, all the hot teams that were, like, the stories of the tournament made it to the semifinals. Yeah. I would and say. in that sense, the trend has continued here, but we've it's certainly been a more interesting World Cup uh, due to the fact that we've we've seen more depth. And England, and in terms of the, the the other teams. And today's game between England and USA in the semifinals was another classic. I've talked before about being at the England Japan game where they almost won it and then uh, kicked it away on an own goal. Uh, but England got so close here in a game that was just run and gun. France, England, France, US was an exciting game, and when it's also like an, a classic great game. But that was very tense, like you know, very pressure, you know, uh, forces pushing against each other. Whereas this was run and gun, like chance at one end, chance at the other end, chance at one end, chance at the other end. Uh, Ten minutes in. Uh, Kelly O'Hara finds Kristen Press on uh, for the header, and then nine minutes later, uh, Ellen White directs a, a header into the corner uh, to make it one-one. Morgan mm-hmm. uh, Alex Morgan scores a header and then sips some tea, which <laughs> we've been it over. We've been over this about celebrations, but it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It is like you know, kind of embarrassing, but you know. That's what it. That's what that was, and that's. I think that that is totally fine. It's not distasteful, as uh, as as a, a a pundit was was heard to say. Um, I love that the response. I've seen a good response to that, which is, you know, it was distasteful. The stamp act. <laughs> this I is love the team. Petty petty historical <laughs> shade is the best. <laughs> um, and eventually, you have uh, you have. This, this great movement from England. Um, Walsh to Scott up the middle. Scott directs it to Ellen White, who who breaks up to get her second. 
But was it a knee offside? Was it like a small, you know, was it one of the, this is another one of those hairline VAR calls where it's hard sometimes when you're looking at it to, because even, even VAR is looking at it from a certain perspective in terms of the angle that it's looking at. And it's hard to judge where the plane is, you know, with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still sort of, go with the I think VAR has been a little bit unfairly targeted in this match just because the amount of attention the World Cup gets um, and this World Cup in particular and so VAR is under extra scrutiny I'm okay with this call, it does look offside Um, the penalty seems a little bit fortuitous to me, Uh, it looks like uh, not quite a penalty but then of course uh, the save happens so I I still think it's one of those things where you gotta say at the end of the day the result is probably the fair one here. I definitely agree that, that that this is, well, it's this category that we talked about earlier when we were talking about MLS, about uh, Castellanos, about players, you know, players getting fouled by moving into other players is always yeah. a weird, is always a weird one. And you have, uh, you have Ellen White again, who, who, who falters, but, sort of has Becky Sauerbrunn uh, arriving in behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, the What can you say on that? I mean, she didn't get the ball and she didn't make contact, so I guess you got to say it's a penalty. But the penalty is taken by Steph Houghton instead of Ellen White, uh, which is, again, why people, you know, the White's the big goal scorer that's been, you know, having all the chances. Why doesn't she get that opportunity? Um but it is Houghton, and it is save left. Um, it is a great save as well. And, and uh, Alyssa Nair looks like she could punch through a wall at that time as, as she pops up with the ball. Um, I think the game, all the air comes out of the game uh, soon after that once, uh, once Millie Bright gets a second yellow. The first yellow would look like it was like a hands in the face of Alex Morgan. I don't know exactly how you rate that, um, but the second yellow seems you know she comes in, she goes in through York Morgan for that second yellow, and, and after that the the tension is really gone mm-hmm. uh, around trying to get that equalizer. But England again comes so close and are not able to advance through the, the semifinals. Yeah, it it is unfortunate, but I think again their their quality kind of let them down in this one. That uh, they they should have probably put this one to bed, and they had the the they sort of opened the window, breathed in the sweet sweet smell of victory, and then slammed the window shut on themselves. And uh, I don't think like again, I, I think it's probably a, a fair result. And Lord knows I ain't looking to to give anything away to for free to the U.S. women's team, so. There was a great uh, moment for the, you know, the continuing, the big, the big question um, is the, the fact that Megan Rapinoe didn't, didn't uh, start and I believe didn't play. I don't think she came in, Um, which I think that I've seen, I've seen uh, some analysis suggesting that that's because they knew that um, England was not going to be a team that was going to come up the far side. Or that was yeah. gonna the the New England was not gonna be a team that was gonna wait for them. Uh, I think this was Kim McCauley of, of SB Nation where I saw this from. That was like this allows Christian Press 
Christopher Press is going to run at them. Mm. Um, and then once we, once, or, you know, Christopher Press is going to be able to handle it and, and Press does, you know, hold, have a great, you know, move on that first goal. Um, and you have it, to be strategic about minutes yeah. as well. Rapinoe is uh, a great player and physically fit, but um, it, they're certainly playing this with an eye to uh, saving her for the next match. So uh, this was definitely a, a strategic uh decision that's paid off yes i think that the funny thing the funny thing if you listen to anyone that that you know is a is a is a follower of the u.s women's team i think what's always hilarious is how bonkers jill ellis's tactical decisions make fans mm. all the time like like this this happens from from the friendlies in terms of people being played out of position some of these decisions yeah. seem Seems so galaxy brained, but they're the World Cup champions and they're in the World Cup final again. So I guess it's hard to say, you know, in the last game, in the France game, that she didn't play Lindsay Horan. And now she doesn't play Megan Rapinoe. And people are just sort of like, like tearing their hair out. Like, like what's happening? It also demonstrates, though, that this is why coaches, uh, the coaches of the teams and not just the average person off the street, is that there's so much that goes into these decisions that we don't get to hear about or see uh, that people don't always take into account. That, you know, a player in their 30s cannot play uh, 180 minutes over three days necessarily. So you have to do a little bit of management if you're going to want to win uh, a whole tournament. And they've got you know, the data that's available now to the, you know, all of the coaches and the medical staff, there's so much that goes into it that you, you really have to assume. It's not like, you know, she just wakes up in the morning and goes like, I just feel like Rapinoe's not the, uh, not the player for us today. Like there, there's decisions being made for certain reasons here. And as you said, they certainly seem to pay off in the long run. Great U.S. women's national team content that came out this morning with the players tribute piece, uh, by, uh, WNBA player Sue Bird of the Seattle Storm, mm-hmm. who who wrote of Rapinoe, so the president fucking hates my girlfriend. And <laughs> is the is the headline on the piece, which is sort of like a numbered piece about her various thoughts and and you know you know thoughts about Rapinoe and thoughts about what's happening in the tournament. Uh, I appreciate her uh, her take on penalty kicks, which was like. Trying to trying to evaluate it like relating to it as a basketball player, it's like, it's I guess they're kind of like free throws. Only if there's someone trying to block your free throw and you have to use your foot, and if you missed it, you'd never forgive yourself and have it haunt you for the rest of your life. If you're good sure. at penalty kicks, you're an alien from another planet. Is her is her <laughs> uh, is her, her conclusion? And I, I think it. that I think that uh, you know it's a it's a great read. Absolutely. Um, uh, we don't need to really go over it, but, uh, on the men's side of things in the gold cup, Canada lost to Haiti. Somebody bearing a striking resemblance to yourself last week said we should not count Haiti out of this one. But goodness me, Godinho also made a right mess of this and really seemed to forget what shirt he was wearing for a second. Hate to pick on a young player, but my goodness, two just awful, awful mistakes that give, just hand this one to Haiti. Um, you know. Overall, for Canada, uh, something to build on, but I imagine there might be a right-back position open in the future. Okay, so I missed this one because I was looking at fish, and I didn't look it up uh, at an aquarium, and I didn't look it up later because I was <laughs> sad. 
How did this happen? So, Gadinho just hits the... Uh, he plays for Heart of Midlothian uh, in Scotland, and he hits a just really poor back pass to the keeper, which uh, the Haitian forward, whose name is not in front of me right now, uh, just strips the ball away from the keeper and boots it in. And then Gadinho goes flying in uh, with both feet and sweeps out both feet of an attacking player to give Haiti a penalty about, uh, I think, like 10 minutes later. So not a great effort. Now, I think uh, we shouldn't blame everything on one player, especially young players, but uh, not a great game for them. Hutchinson almost draws level late and then is deemed offside with his equalizing goal. And uh, it's game, set, match. Haiti goes through. And uh, last I checked, uh, there's another game happening right now. We are we are just now going into uh, extra time of Mexico Curacao, I believe. No, Mexico no, Haiti. Mexico it's Haiti. Mexico. Yes. And uh, Mexico looks like they've just scored. So this is this is the thing, you know. This is the reason why I said that it was possible that Haiti could win. I think that that some people get the number or just their thoughts about Haiti, and they think, how can Canada lose to these people? And it, and it's hard to it's hard to you know, approach the, the, the question of, you know, is this team on, are, are these teams on the same level when, when one team just smoked the other ones, came back from a 2 nothing lead to win, a uh, deficit to win 3-2, three, three, obviously they won the game. And I think that if you, if you could beat, regardless of what you think about their positioning, if they, or their, their position relative to us, if they can beat Costa Rica, they can beat us. And they yeah. and they held unlike unlike Canada they held Mexico's zero zero through full time and now they're yeah. they're in extra time uh, we, that could change by the time that it's over it, it's certainly a a historical run from then in 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 wonderful to see because I mean it highlights for the for the big three teams for the the teams that would like to go to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, this tournament can sometimes seem, especially because it happens every two years, this mm-hmm. tournament can sometimes seem like an also ran, like, like maybe yeah. it doesn't matter for the States. Maybe it doesn't matter. Or like, like it, it, it can sometimes be hard to get down to business for this tournament. Um, but honestly, it's like for the Caribbean sides, this is the main event. This is, yeah. this is, this is what they aspire to. Um, and it's great to see uh, the Caribbean and Central American teams do well here. Absolutely. And it's and it's not just dumb luck either. Like, people forget all the time. There's two teams playing in every game. So it's not just uh, mistakes that cause a team to, to lose um, or officiating calls that you think should have gone another way. I mean, Haiti made their own luck in this tournament. And uh, it, it's... if. They do get knocked out by Mexico. I still think there's going to be an awful lot of celebrations uh, for that club and country. Looks like it was a penalty on uh, three minutes into extra mm. time. So that's not that's not always fun. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of nice, you know. Uh, Mark Dos Santos had this big speech at the end of his at the you know his his post game presser where he thinks that it's um, it's disgraceful to continue to be missing players. Um. You know, and, and to be playing while teams are away on international break. Certainly, we now have. Uh, I think. Well, I guess these are. It's. This is the semifinal, right? 
So, so that'll almost be over. The U.S. national team plays uh, tomorrow in the other one against Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be, I think, a welcome sight because we're we're continuing to work in this um, this pressured schedule for MLS, yeah. where they're they're trying desperately to get the the season over in time for the playoffs and in in time to have the MLS Cup in in November, and we're having. Uh, we're having a full slate of games tomorrow at the same time as the U.S. men's national team plays. Why would you? Do, I mean, I, I guess it's a semifinal, so you can't play that in advance. But it just seems like so uh, so counterproductive to what everybody you know wants to be doing. Um, that you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven league games, and then. Uh, Three more games on the fourth. And then you're trying to play a full weekend of games after that. Atlanta plays on the third, and then they play on the seventh. That sucks. Yeah. It's it's not great. Um, and it's an and away I, game. That first game's an away game, too. Yeah. No, I think there's a, a strong point to be made there, but the other side of it is every team, more or less, has to deal with the same thing. So it, it sort of evens out, but I, I think... Dos Santos' point is that, you know, you've got all these fans coming for a Seattle-Vancouver derby match, and both teams are missing key players. Um, That doesn't look good for the games necessarily, but I don't know. (laughs) That's MLS, man. Welcome to it. That's so MLS, as a matter Uh, of fact. Well, we got, obviously, lots of soccer, lots of games coming up. In the meantime, uh, you can find uh, That's So MLS on Twitter and Instagram, at That's So MLS. Where can we find you? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, com. They just have an issue out, so go uh, look for that and uh, subscribe. You can find this podcast at thatsomls.com. And uh, on Apple Podcasts, wherever great podcasts can be found, rate, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, I might be, well, I'll be in your uh, your neck of the woods soon. Uh, oh so, yeah, that's right. So we'll see if I'll be able to make it to uh, to a game while I'm down there. Maybe Sporting Kansas City. Sporting, I guess it's a it's a good it's a good time of year to play Sporting Kansas City when they're when they're at the bottom of the table. Absolutely. Uh, it is also, uh, it will finally give me a chance to give you your Major League Soccer trading card package that I've had for you oh since my God, Christmas of last year. Right. I'm so excited. I'm so excited you, to find out who I got. tempted I am? I've been to open this. I almost did it the other day and I was like, no, he's coming soon. So I'll, I'll make sure that that gets safely into your hands and maybe we'll do like an on-air reveal of who you got. We've got an unboxing video. Uh, we got to do like an <laughs> unboxing Instagram for that. Uh, and until then, if you are playing in a World Cup uh, semifinal against Alex Morgan, do not get your hand up in her face and indirectly get sent off.